Hi everyone, we have a content warning on today's episode. Uh, There are mentions of suicidal ideation and animal abuse. Please take care of yourselves. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns and I'm a bit gender nebulous, a term that I made up and you can use if you like it. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, a boundary guide for individuals and couples, and a consent educator. My interest in this work is mostly in consent, gender, and power dynamics. I offer Zoom classes live and for download through my website, and private consent lessons and boundary sessions too. Today I'm talking to Mona E. Shaker, licensed therapist and burnout coach. Hey, Mona. Howdy. How's it going? Pretty all right over here. How about you? Good. I started using howdy for some reason. I like like it. It works, yeah, especially in, in the public setting. I feel like it kind of mitigates, uh, you know, my brownness. Howdy. Like, it's like, I feel like automatically it puts people at ease. I use that shit to my advantage, absolutely. Wow. Is there any like Texan in your background at all? There's no, there's no Texan at all. I wow. just, uh, I kind of like it. It's almost like a hey, y'all. It's like kind of gender neutral. And yeah, uh, I find it a little like silly. So I enjoy it. That's funny. It is very disarming. <laughs> and it makes me think that you're like, like you don't take yourself too seriously. Perfect. Yeah. Got it. That's like, yeah. per- that's right in line. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Cool. Um, well, first I was thinking, let's just share how we met. Cause it's such a funny, cool thing. Yeah. So random. I mean, I guess you might have to go first because, um, well, we met because of my cousin, um, and I'll say this about my cousin is that she like gives as little details as possible. So I'll never know like motives or anything behind anything. She'll just be like, oh, I, I, I told somebody about you. You know, she'll just say something like that. I'll never know what that means or who that person is. Um, but yeah, if you, I think you, yeah. uh, you reached out to me first. Yeah. Yeah. I have the, like the first half of the story. So I found your cousin, um, through uh, Jelly Los Angeles, the tattoo studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was obsessed with her work. And I went to, I booked a tattoo. And I'll give like this slightly more detailed version, I guess, which is that I knew that I wanted a tattoo to kind of like mark a moment, um, like just to sort of commemorate this last year for myself. And as I was looking through her flash, I wasn't, I typically when I go get a tattoo, I don't know what I'm going to get. And so I just look through someone's flash and I wait for this feeling, Hmm. which I think is kind of related to our work too. Um, I wait for this feeling and then I get this feeling of like, oh, that's mine. Hmm. Like that is the right tattoo. And I was looking and looking and I was like, this is beautiful, but it's not quite the thing, you know? And then I found tucked into a pocket in the back, this this drawing of this like floating sleepy wizard in a nightgown and I was like that is it that is so it and um so so she was drawing it and then she was like you know transferring it and then we started talking as she was tattooing me and I was sharing with her like I'm I'm really trying to be aware of my nervous system and like I can you know I know what you're about to do and I'm trying to think about like how to prepare myself for the pain so that it doesn't feel as, uh, you know, like the shock is gone and that'll like prevent trauma. That was, that's what I was thinking about. So I was sharing that with her and she, she brought you up and she was like, this is really interesting. It's like reminding me of my cousin. And I was like, well, this is what I do. And she was like, yeah, you should meet my cousin. Um, and then I, what, I reached out to you on Instagram exactly like yeah I got a tattoo from your cousin our work is related you want to like yeah like have a have a phone chat session or a video session yeah yeah and but that's the thing she didn't tell me any information like there was just like very little of like what what I knew and I was like oh cool that that sounds nice um but then the more (laughs) then I started following you and I was like it's just so yeah interesting about the how related our work is um but also I love that that our connection is is my cousin Fama because she's just like literally I mean we're the same age and she's my hero like absolutely through and through she's like 
the coolest person I know and just like so like kind and Mm -hmm. like actually like a like a pure-hearted kind person and like it she makes me a better person just by being being around her wow yeah well I I felt very connected like even um getting tattooed from her or tattooed by her and then this is not related to how you and I met but she offered to drive me to my car because it was really late like that I ended up leaving at like 1130 or something at night. And at the end, I was like, can I see your face? <laughs> I was like, I know this is like a weird question, but can I see your face? And we both took our masks off. Cause I was like, I just spent like six hours with you. And it, you know, we had this like tattoos are really intimate and I have no idea what you look like. So that was, that was great. We ended up just like revealing <laughs> our bottom halves. I love that. Faces. That's so, I mean, it's so funny, right. With wearing masks as well as like, there's so much that gets lost with the, yep. like, just like in like the micro expression expressions. And it's just like sense of safety too, is like, like when I look back in pictures, I'm like, I look really like pissed off, but I'm <laughs> actually smiling. But like, you know, like there's just like, there's so much information that gets lost and, um, anyways yeah I was just sort of like and I can't imagine getting a tattoo and just like having just purely based on what that person is just saying and like energetic vibes of like just feeling like comfortable and safe with somebody you've sort of like hit on the there like one of the things that I've noticed that I've gotten more sensitive to is a vibe like an energy from somebody because I can't see their face but I've also been noticing from like from a consent perspective, when you can't gauge someone's facial expression, it's really hard to tell how they're feeling. Like you can listen for it in their voice. You can listen for these not, you can look for nonverbal cues. Like, are they looking at you? Are they fidgeting? You know, like what's their body language? But when you can't see half someone's face, it's uh, really hard to gauge um, how they're feeling. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we would just have to write hope and like maybe just give like extra, extra room for someone to say no or to like sit with their decision or something. Yeah. If so yeah. much is lost, yeah. So that brings us to the middle of our Venn diagram, which I think consent and burnout are so incredibly, incredibly related. Um, and I would love to hear your story of how, of your, your burnout story and how you became a burnout coach. Yeah, for sure. So, so I'm a licensed therapist in California and I've been doing this work for over 10 years. And I feel like, especially, and I, and I wonder if folks could relate to this and I wonder if you could relate to this, just being in the healing field. Um, there's almost this expectation that um, in, in order to heal other people, you have to sort of give up a piece of yourself or like that, um, you know, that work kind of comes first and then you kind of come up, come later. And so, and I grew up in like an environment where that like culturally was very accurate of, especially as a woman of, um, you know, the, it's not about your needs, it's about the collective needs um, and especially like the, the needs of elders. And so there was like, um, automatically just growing up in the world thinking that you know authority figures should always be respected elders should always be respected whatever they want that's like what we kind of lean towards so doing that plus being in the healing profession like it was just a perfect uh yeah recipe for for burnout and there was this normalization again especially in like I think the social work and in like mental health there's this normalization that you don't take breaks and it's actually it's a badge of honor and so I remember my first job after grad school was at a residential uh, treatment center, um, which is, uh, it was a lot. It was just a lot because people were living there. So people were like in, in the, some sort of type of recovery, like a mental health recovery moment. And they live there and that's where they get their therapy. And so you're as like a, a practitioner, you're there where they live. So they're like, you could see that they come out of the shower in like a bathrobe and then you're, and then you're doing therapy with them the next. So there's like, there's already like a blur of like boundaries to begin with. And, you know, starting out new, you take your cues from the people who've been there for a long time. So all the therapists there were, um, they don't take their breaks. People don't even sit down. It was at that, like that point. I remember one day I just was feeling so, um, hungry that I was just like, I know we're really busy, but I haven't taken my lunch yet. I have to take my lunch now. And my supervisor like stopped, turned around and said, are you really going to eat right now? 
and it made me feel like I ended up taking the break and I'm glad I did, but it made me feel really guilty for even like, and I, and I lost a lot of weight. Anyways, everybody there was just like really unhealthy, but like that was normalized. And the, and those were the people who got ahead. So that's the other thing. So we're, we're getting constantly like, so I'm getting cues as like a new therapist. Like that's how you get ahead. Like not having your needs met, but nothing, it never felt right. Right. Like, I think like we do this type of work and we like push back past our boundaries and there's always something that doesn't feel right also because we're harming our ourselves like physically and, and emotionally and mentally but I feel like the first time that I actually like thought that this is like this this is not right is um one of those co-workers at that that place that I worked at ended up um, committing suicide and I was just sort of thinking of like how, and she was really unhealthy I mean we were all unhealthy I mean we were all working past our breaks you weren't allowed to take I mean, you could take a break legally, but like, you know, there was, you know, there, it was like a workplace culture and, you know, she ended up taking her life. And I remember just feeling so angry at that workplace. And like, they, they had a memorial there. And I couldn't even like walk. I, I didn't even want to go in there. I didn't answer anybody's phone calls. I was just so mad and like, not to like, you know, I'm not going to blame everybody. It's part of the system. Right. But like, it was, it, it felt like that was like, that's like, that's the worst case scenario. That's like where burnout, that's where burnout goes. And that's really like that path. So anyways, with that knowledge, I ended up like still going in the field, still working past my limits, being a little bit more self-aware. And I think like understanding like how like colonization and like capitalism work, like knowing that that's all part of like to keep that system alive is to have people work past their system, past their limits. So they don't question. Cause once you question where you're at, you realize, you know, that this is, you know, so I had that knowledge, but I'm still trying to make a living to kind of like have both. And it wasn't until two years ago, my last job before I worked on for myself, my last job was at a tech startup, which is also kind of interesting of like going from like social work, like in the ground, like working with, with folks in need, being really burnt out by that. And then like having this, like, it was like a beacon of hope. It was like, oh, a tech startup, you get benefits. I was going to get paid twice as much as I would make normally, you know? And I was like, they pay for your snacks, you know, like just like uh. stupid shit like that. And I was just like, wow. And so I ended up going to that, working at a mental health tech startup. And like, yeah, there's definitely, and this is part of burnout. There's definitely a honeymoon phase where you're, you're excited. Yeah. There's a lot of work, but you want to prove yourself and you're going to work past your breaks. Cause you want to be like a superstar off the bat. Um, and that all kind of caught up with me in the pandemic, like during the pandemic last year, last summer, where I, it was just really, it got to a really bad point where like my boss was burnt out. Her boss was burnt out. Like we were just all like operating from a place of like no, no fuel at all. Um, and the work ended up being, I mean, the work was really, really difficult. And I, because I was like a manager there, whenever somebody was like, I need to speak to your manager. Like I would get those type of phone calls. Like just like really angry oh. customer service people. And whenever somebody was suicidal, I would get those folks as well because it's like, it goes to a manager. So it was, and because of like, it's like a tech play. So my, uh, my computer would automatically um, go to sleep if it wasn't at, like, if I didn't move my the mouse in three minutes. So I'd run to the bathroom on my breaks and run back. Because once my computer went to sleep, my Slack notification would show that I'm like away. And people in the workplace were using that against other people. Like, oh, I saw that they're, they're not sit actually sitting at their desk because, you know, now we're all remote. So it ended up turning to this thing where like, I, I was like, run to the bathroom, run to get water and then like move my mouse really fast. Like it, even on weekends wow. where I'm not at work. I had this automatic thing of moving the mouse just to like, it was like, like a Pav Pavlovian moment. So I was, yeah, dealing with all that. And then the, our company got bought out by like this, like, I probably shouldn't say this on here. Uh, who cares? It got bought out by like an insurance company. And like, I'll just be straight up. Like, I don't, I think insurance companies are evil. They should not exist. And they exist as a barrier for people to access health care that could save their lives. Um, it shouldn't exist at all. So we got bought up by this insurance company and then that's when all the budget cuts happen and that's when every caseload doubled and um, it, it, this like beacon of hope, oh, okay, really turned into like just another fucking system, like just, just another tool um, to make money basically and to like pat themselves on the back. So yeah, I was like working in, yeah, just like really 
hardcore hours, like really paranoid about leaving my computer. Yeah, the honeymoon period turned into stress. You know, like it, it goes from there, like honeymoon, you're working extra, but you're good with it because like you're really excited and interested actually. And then it moves into like the stress where like you'll have like some mild anxiety or some like mild like body aches, you know, like um, like a headache or a stomach ache. And then it, once you sit in that stress cycle with for so long, then that turns into the chronic stress then like continues to wear on your body. So then you go from like anxiety to like panic or you go from like a stomach ache to like, you know, like actually like throwing up or something, you know, or like migraine headache to migraines like it actually then you start having those chronic health conditions and then like the burnout is when you like just feel completely like um like you have no options I think of like I'm sure you know this psychological experiment back in the day which was super like abusive to animals but they would like they created this bot this electrocuted like a yeah like electrocuted box that a dog would stay in so every time I try to leave the box, they would get like a mild like electric shock. And so they learn to just stay in, in, in that one place. And then once they remove that box, um, the dog was so scared, it learned just to not, not even try to explore. It just like yeah. sat in that, in that like outline of a box around itself. So I, I kind of always, I know it's really, really terrible. I've never heard of that study. That's so sad. I should have given like a trigger warning, <laughs> like animal abuse. But I think of that because that they, they coined the term learned helplessness of like when you're like, when you've been chronically harmed for so long, you learn and to internalize this belief that like you have no options and you can't escape and that's just the way it is. Um, and that leaves, and, and I mean, I mean, you talk about a sense of purpose that leads to not feeling like you have a sense of purpose. You're completely disconnected with your, your disconnected and misaligned with your values with your purpose and you just feel like that's that's the way it is like um yeah it it's hard to really just describe but like I, I got to that point in the pandemic it just really like the stress just became overwhelming um and just being like totally vulnerable I did experience like suicidal ideation and I had friends around me who were leaning on me for their emotional support as well so I was, anyways, I was not at a good place. I totally experienced that burnout. I, and I finally took a full week off of work, which was really a, a big deal because again, like always feeling like I couldn't take a time off. Like everybody was relying on me. So even taking a week off was really like important at that, at that point, I took a week off. My partner and I went to a, um, I think it was Idlewild. So we went to like this, like foresty place just to sort of get away and like disconnect. Um, and her friend actually ended up passing away while we were on this trip. So she had to be by herself and like mourn and like take time. And, and that was really great. Cause that gave me a moment to be completely by myself with my thoughts, which ended up being super helpful. Cause I just got my journal out and I just kept writing on repeat. Like, what do I want? What do I need? Like, what do I want? What do I need? And, and at this point I've been like, again, like my whole life been conditioned not to be completely disconnected with my wants and needs my work has reinforced that. And then now I'm here, like feeling like life has no meaning. I don't want to be alive. I started having some serious, like health conditions come up as well. And I kept writing, what do I want? What do I need? What? And then finally it was like, I need to leave this job. Like it just became crystal clear. I need to leave this job. Like you're licensed. You could have your own private practice. Like who can you rely on? Like it just became a crystal clear plan. And honestly, it only just took like maybe 30 minutes of just sitting intentionally by myself came up with a plan. Who can I rely on? Who can I ask for help? And, um, and then I asked myself, like, when do I want to leave? And I said, like, December, 2020, like, I can't go on beyond that. And, um, anyways, I ended up like actually like following through. I reached out to those friends and we created a little working group together and they're all in private practice. And they're like, we don't know one person who's not like doing okay for themselves. Like you could absolutely do it. Like here are some resources. Um, so anyways, I've been working for myself since January, 2021. And it's been, I mean, it's only been four months, uh, but it's been quite a journey to, cause then I find out that I'm doing a lot of like self-policing of like, oh, I can't leave my desk. Oh, I have to like, I'm just, I'm doing that. So it's being very intentional about like stopping and like, and, and putting breaks in my day. So I actually could sit with myself. And so I could like intentionally like combat those like 
automatic beliefs and automatic thoughts about, you know, my, how to spend my time basically. That I felt like very long-winded. I hope I didn't bore you, but that that's like my entire like story of like how I got to the, got to where I'm at now and like the experience with, with burnout at work. Thank you that I'm so glad to know that whole trajectory. Um, and I really appreciate the sort of the background information and how you tie in even like being socialized as a girl and like cultural factors um, and especially this idea of the collective over the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, something that came up in my last six week course and then has come up again in this one that you've seen is this idea that saying no to your parent or family member is not just saying no in that moment. It's actually saying no to like your whole culture um, and your whole family and like all of your ancestors. Um, And especially with how powerful no can be and feel that is that's just so much more to consider when you decide like I'm not I'm just not going to do the the standard work that um you know that my parents might look at and think is like safe for me to do and and you know reliable and I'll get health insurance and all this stuff Mm. um I also I'm really interested in this idea of learned helplessness that really kind of struck a chord with me and I went off into my own place. So I'm going to need to look up that and um, do some research. What came up for you? Well, I have all these like autoimmune health and gut issues and that image even of like the box and Mm. feeling like if I try to move outside of the box, I'll get shocked a little bit. And then even when they take the box away, like, I think that's where I'm at right now is that like the box has been taken away, but I'm still sitting there. Like I can't leave this, you know, four by four area. The, the metaphor being like the, the four by four area is like this really restricted diet and this particular pill regimen and like these certain things that I do to stay really just not even healthy, but just like functional with like symptom management and there is this like learned helplessness where I'm like the pattern in my brain thought pattern is like you're never going to feel better than this like this is as good as it gets um and there's sort of an element that I've been trying to peel away at lately around um like through my health stuff I've learned to slow down and learned to listen to my body and really honor what it's telling me. And I think that there's like still the last trust piece between me and my body. And I have feelings about even like thinking that those are separate things, but like, you know, for the purposes of this sort of thought experiment, um, like the last piece of the trust there is that my body needs to know that I will not push it that I will still move slowly and I will still honor what it's telling me and I will not push it past its limits, even if my symptoms are not as severe. So it, it won't need to scream at me. And I think it's sort of stuck in this mm. place where it's like, my body feels like it can't get any better because if it does, I will stop paying attention to my boundaries or something like that. Wow. (laughs) That's really powerful. But right. Like, I mean, I think there's some truth to that too, of like, you're, when we do push past our limits, we do have like actual biological things that happen to us. And, and if we've been conditioned to push past that and to ignore it, that's our only indication that like, it's, this is not okay. And so, um, yeah, I think you're bringing up was just a really good point of like, so what happens when like you've been maybe even just like sort of stuck in that place or like frozen in that time? Like, how do you unlearn a lot of that stuff? And how do you tell your body that you're safe is a really big one. I'm like, in, I'm in the middle of reading this book called Burnout by Emily Nagoski. Oh, Emily I, look at this. Yes, come on, Burnout. I have this one. Oh, come as you are. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So the other, so that's perfect. This one came out first. Okay. 
And then Burnout is is a book that her and her, I mean, it's her twin sibling. Which yeah, I, yeah. It's adorable. Um, wrote together because I forget which one, but one of them um, ended up being hospitalized, but kind of related to like exhaustion. I think she was diagnosed with exhaustion, which I think we all know is just like burnout, and chron- chronic stress, right? That's a diagnosis. I mean, I, that's what that's what they say in the book, but like, I think when doctors are like, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's like IBS. They're like, oh, you poop a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is also a symptom of like chronic stress, though. Like, totally. I mean, right? That's like our body's right, like <clears throat> telling us something because we're putting them putting ourselves in a state of chronic like fight or fight flight freeze chronic stress survival mode yeah um and being in survival mode is a biological experience so of course we're gonna have like a biological like implications if we sit in that with like the stress hormones sort of pulsing through continuously but so anyways so that book burnout they talk a lot about your your body needs to feel like you're safe so we we could tell ourselves mentally you're not in the stress cycle anymore. Listen, you're safe. Like, right. You're being faced with a, a situation that might be similar to like a trauma you've experienced, but situation's different. You're actually safe. You could tell yourself that, but your body is still re- having a specific reaction. So how do you tell your body that you're safe? They actually go into how do you tell your body that you're safe? Wow. It's really useful. Um, Any tips? You're like, tell me right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, long story short is like, anything it's whatever you, your body needs but it has to be kind of like a physical thing so like mentally is definitely like mindset's a big thing and there has to be something physically that you you can do to like feel safe so she's like some people just start crying uncontrollably and, and I'm a crier so I really like I aligned with that a lot because sometimes I don't know I was, again I, I've been watching a lot of Jersey Shore in the pandemic <laughs> I've been crying in like the last three episodes there just be like kind of sweet moments between friends and it would just like trigger this, like, uh, like, just like totally like not in a, it's like not act. The amount that I'm crying is just not even close to like what I'm actually watching, but that just tells me that there's some sort of like, I need to release. And like crying is like, you know, it's like a very physical, like I'm wailing, there's actual like tears coming and I feel so relaxed afterwards too. So they're saying just sort of like, whatever it is, like it could be whatever it is for your body, but mm-hmm. making sure you're having a physical reaction. And they use the example of like, you know, like a big predator, like a tiger, like attacking a deer. Sorry about all these animal references, but like <laughs> if, if the animal like maybe plays dead or like gets away, they do this thing where they like physically just like convulse and shake. Yeah. Um, they kind of use that as an example of like, that's what that animal needs to do. And like, sometimes humans need to do some sort of like shaking or some sort of like physical movement to like sh- shake it off or like to that, that, that's the signal that your body to your body that you're safe. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before. I took a class on polyvagal theory and they had us like the teacher had us jump around or shake or dance. And she used the reference of like, you know, when a dog like does that full body shiver thing, like it's a, it releases stress hormones. So it's a really mm-hmm. good thing. Also I'm thinking like tapping and yes. yeah, all that stuff. Totally. So when you were describing at the beginning how like people in uh, like helping and healing professions are sort of expected to like always be working or like that you're second, um, what I thought you were going to say that I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on is I thought you were going to say that there's this sort of expectation that people in healing professions are fully healed themselves. Mm. And I've been running into that one a lot lately, especially as a person who teaches, because there is this, um, you know, I think when we talk about trauma and we talk about healing and helping and all this stuff, um, there's this common understanding that, or assumption made that like, I've got it all figured out and that's why I'm teaching it to you. Mm. Or like, if I'm, you know, offering these private sessions, it's because I'm perfect at this. And I deal with this with my clients and like, 
sometimes I've had to say like, you know, that therapists have therapists, right? Like you can't be your own therapist. I can't do what I do for clients to myself. Mm. There's a certain amount that I have these skills and I can use them and stuff. But like, you know, when, when I, like a few, uh, a month or so ago, I left my dog in the car for, I swear it was no more than 15 minutes. Like it was 15 minutes at most. Um, it was not hot outside. The windows were cracked. She was under the shade of a tree. And when I got back to my car and we were on our way to the dog park, I had to stop at the market to get, I got berries and fish. That was all I got at the market. And it was, um, we were about to go to the dog park. And when I got back to my car, there was this woman trying to like basically break into my car and my dog had run away the week prior. Like anyone who follows me knows that my dog ran away after I had her for like nine days. And so I flipped out. I was like, get the fuck away from my car. What the fuck are you doing? That's my dog. Like I lost my shit. And I, afterwards I thought, God, you know, like you have these skills that you're like unable to tap into in a moment of crisis or like in, when you're having a stress response, mm-hmm. I did not remember all my nonviolent communication training. I was not holding this person in a compassionate place in my mind. Like maybe this woman had some of her own trauma with a dog in the car or whatever. And instead I'm like cursing at her and screaming at her. So anyway, that's all to say, like, I do have, I have people that I work with. I have you know, students, and then even just people that I like meet online who sort of my experience is that they, they, and what they've shared with me is that they're like, what do you mean you have trouble saying no, for Mm. example, or like, what do you mean burnout? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sharing my tools and skills with you all because I'm working on this in real time for myself. I feel like that's, it's, Bro, you're saying this and to me, I'm like, yeah, of course, but it's so radical because no one says it. Like, I don't think yeah. even healers want to admit that because I think there, there is that, yeah, there's that, there's that assumption that we have it all together. And like, and also it's like, well, how am I supposed to lead or how am I supposed to, you know, heal others if I haven't done my, you know, am a hundred percent like perfect on this like area that I'm an expertise in. Well, I mean, there's no such thing as perfection. So it's just like, you get into your own trap. I just really appreciate that you said that like out loud. Cause again, I just feel like, a, I feel like that too, of like, I'm, I'm always just learning. Hell, I learn from my clients too, you Me know, too. like it's really like, it's so sim- symbiotic and like, we might be just like had a few more experiences ahead. And like, that's why we could kind of shine that light, but like, no one's going to be completely healed, um, ever, ever, ever. Um, but yeah, anyways, I just like that you said that. And I, I kind of think that's radical. And I, I hope that like, I want to be like that a little bit more. And I hope more healers could admit that as well. Um, Cause there is that assumption, but what comes with that assumption? So there is that as- assumption that like we're completely healed and like, and you know, we've done our work or whatever, whatever that means. But then, so what does that assumption like actually turn into? Like that's sort of what, when you were talking I was sort of like wondering what, what are those implications? And I, and I'm curious to your thoughts, but like one thing that came to mind is like when somebody sees you, I mean, especially on social media, like we both have social media um, like presence, that there is this expectation that people will have at complete access to you 100%. Yeah. That you actually can't put your own boundaries or say no. Um, and I've come up against this um, uh, just a handful of times, but I've only been in doing my own thing for like not too long. So, um, but this thing of like, when I say no, or if I'm saying I'm, I'm full, or if I like refer somebody out, um, a lot of people, not a lot of people, a very small handful, but there's like this shock of like, they think that like, because I'm a healer, I, I, I there's like, a, you have an unlimited access to me, my energy, my time. Um, and, or like having to answer personal questions online. I'm like, I don't know you. Yeah. Like I, I get to share exactly how much I feel comfortable sharing and no more. And so, um, yeah anyway so that that that's something that I was thinking about of like okay there's that expectation but then what are the what are the the outcomes of that one of the outcomes that I see is this like um 
I mean, it's all sort of related to like pedestalization, you know, mm. putting people above you, which is the tendency to hierarchize anything and everything is also the result of structures of oppression. Yes. So anytime I sense that someone is like looking up to me, my red flag spidey sense goes off and I'm like, I I get really uncomfortable, Mm. but then I have to recognize like, okay, this person views me as being in a position of power. And so I need to then like move with a whole lot of caution because it also gives me a whole lot farther to fall in their eyes. And a big part of what my, just my own like personal philosophy and how I move through the world is like, I'm going to fuck up like a whole lot. I mean, all the time. And like, I'm not going to ever stop fucking up. I'm just going to get better at, I'm going to get, I'm going to fuck up less and I'm going to get better at accountability and better at apologizing and better at repair. Um, But what I've noticed is that there's sometimes this way that because of the work that I do, and I think your work is so related, there is this expectation that I like, would I, that I could never breach consent, for example, that I could never violate consent. Mm. And I just don't think that that's realistic. Like even, even when Betty Martin teaches the wheel of consent, she talks about the shadow side as like, not, not part of life that you can necessarily completely eradicate. Like sometimes you have to live in that space and sometimes people have conflicting needs. And like this, this ties to burnout, you know, if like if someone really needs my help and I'm like, I'm totally burnt out. I'm, you know, I'm at capacity and they're like, Mia, you are the only person who can help me right now. I might push myself mm-hmm. and that I can do that consensually. I can put, I can consent to push past my limitations in service of you or in service of the greater good. Um, and that could be seen as someone violating my consent or pushing my boundaries, but I'm like, you know, that that's, that's sort of part of life. Like we can't necessarily totally avoid that. I notice new ways that I've violated consent in the past or that I'm actively doing it all the time. Mm. So what I'm, what I'm sort of looking at is this phenomenon of, of this like um, perfection ideal when no, it, even though I talk about consent as a practice, meaning that it's something that is like you can fall off, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing about like the, yeah, the pedestal when somebody's seeing you like right in that hierarchy, right? You're more apt to like, right? Fall, that's like a higher place to fall. But that also like it perpetuates the that that system of oppression that somebody is better than you or like you have to you have to look outside of yourself for like for guidance or for like um like understanding. And I think that's part of capitalism because the the truth I mean the truth is people have enormous power inside themselves and we just talked about how like powerful our bodies are and how powerful our intuition could be once we like pay attention to it. And that's something we freely have access to. Um, but it's so easy to like, kind of look, look past ourselves for that. And listen, we all need, I need that too. Like I constantly kind of like to look outside to get reminders of my own power and my inner strength. Um, but I see that like that discomfort there too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the feeling of like that, It's also like what I'm noticing is that a lot of people find their purpose Mm. through their own healing journey, Yes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like you've arrived to where you are because of the fact that you, you yourself are susceptible to burnout. Mm -hmm. And so you keep yourself in check around burnout, but it doesn't mean that you are never going to feel burnt out. Exactly. Especially when these things are institutionalized and internalized, like that's going to be like a lifelong work. Exactly. And I feel like that's like, oh, sorry. No, go for for it. I was going to say like, that's like, 
in my mind, that's the ideal situation. Like somebody who's actually walked the path and then like, you know, did their own research and own self-discovery and then like develop tools or like pulled tools uh, into their, their, their toolbox um, mm -hmm. to share with others. Like, I just feel like that process, I would much rather be with a, a provider who's like gone through it themselves. Um, and I, and I feel like, again, there's like so much shame of like, well, I'm still in the work and like, how, who am I to like help other people? And it's like, you, you have, you definitely have the right to help other people. Like there's always going to be somebody who's going to like need something that you can offer that again, just sort of like reflects their own, their own empowerment. Um, um, but I love when people have done like gone through it and done their own work. Like, I almost feel like that's like the most, that's like the power is, is right there. My Patreon is now a community site for DIY self-paced learning. I share assignments, journal prompts, media examples of consent and boundaries, discount codes, my own writing on boundaries and consent, the medical industry, and other things that I'm thinking about all the time. I share papers, articles, lectures, and more. And you also get access to the Patreon-only Discord channel. Patreon is a great way to support the show, but there are other ways that don't cost money. You can rate, subscribe, and write a review wherever you listen and share the show with your friends. All of that is deeply appreciated. I'm currently taking private clients. You can find out more about that in the Work With Me tab on my website, sharetheloadinc.com, and schedule a call to see if we're a good fit. Let's talk about that because it, it relates to something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about this honeymoon phase that you're talking about. Mm. I just taught this boundaries workshop um, to a like production company with a lot of really young interns. And some of what we were talking about was this idea of burnout because they're really excited and they're like hungry for the knowledge and they yes. just got this gig and it's super exciting. And as you said, there's also this idea of like, well, if my coworker is doing it, then they look better than me if I don't do it. So yeah, what are your, what do you think about that? Cause like we do push our limits out of excitement or because there's money involved and, and when is that okay? And when is it not? Right. I feel like I'm still trying to, to form a, a thought around it because, and this happens in the workplace, the people who have the, the worst limits and the worst boundaries are the people who get ahead. Yeah. And I don't know. And I'm actually just thinking now of like all like my managers, all the people in leadership in my work experience have all been like women or like female identified folks. And so I wonder, cause I'm actually can't even think of like a dude, or like a cis dude that like has been in a leadership position. I guess that must just be like a- In social work. In social work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, it's always been the women who are like they're the first ones there and then the last ones to leave and like that's been like modeled and those are the people who get promoted and, and the people who move up so and that's real and I think especially in that intersection of like okay if you're like a minority in the workplace so let's say like you're like femme or like female identified let's say you're like a black or a person of color there's already like so many stereotypes about you and your work like ethic and like who you are and um, there's already like a lot to prove. And I feel like the pressure is even more heightened for like, you know, like minorities in the workplace to, to, to push again, like to prove that they are dedicated to the work or prove that they're there. Honestly, like, I think I have formed my thought around it, which is like <laughs> most companies are just like, are, are getting to this cult mentality of like, you, it's almost like, um, I don't know, like a sorority or a fraternity of like, you have to kind of like go through some sort of abuse to, to like make it like you have to start as an intern and you have to endure like low pay or no pay. And, you know, you have to like, oh yeah, you put up with them, you know, we all, and, and that's the thing it gets, it gets replicated. Cause you're like, well, I went through that. So like, you know, you should go through that too. And that's how you get ahead is you have to experience like a level of abuse. And then you get to appreciate, you know, when you get that salary job, you know what I mean? I don't think it has to be like that. And I feel like that's all like a conscious, like, decision that we all like choose to make and choose to replicate um in order to push this like you know this cog ahead is like money making machine like what, wherever whatever industry you're in i mean even in healthcare 
people make a lot of money in healthcare, especially we talked about insurance companies earlier. Like there's a lot of money to be had. Um, and it's at the expense of like our, our health and our bodies. Right. Um, I'd like to find a workplace that doesn't do that, honestly. That's, you know, that's like part of what I'm dealing with. Um, I mean, and you're talking about like going into business for yourself too. And this sort of self-policing thing that like, it is capitalism in my brain. Like capitalism is my inner critic. Yeah. Capitalism <laughs> and my mother are my inner critic. So <laughs> capitalism talks to me in the voice of my mother, like really condescending, you know, mm-hmm. telling me what the fuck is wrong with you, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was even having a conversation yesterday about this like mythical 40 hour work week that we strive for, which is um, born out of a time when people who were working 40 hours a week had full-time help at home in the form of their wives. (laughs) Mm. So when I think about my 40 hour work week, I'm thinking about that includes grocery shopping, laundry, cleaning my house, um, errands, going to the doctor, going to the dentist, going to acupuncture. Like these are all things that I tried, that I'm counting in my work day. So I, you know, there was a while where I was like, okay, you just do all those things on Saturday. Mm. And, and eventually I was like, no, actually, because you are your own help. So you have to treat yourself and, and I'm also, as my own boss, I've had to really ask myself, and I've done some journaling about this too over the last year, what kind of boss do I want to be? And not even because I'm going to be having employees, but because I'm my employee. Mm. So I need to give myself vacation time. I need to give myself sick days. And I have to be the one to hold those boundaries for myself. Like Mia, you said you're taking the week off, the day off or the week off, like, oh my God, whenever that has rarely happened. And I'm the one constantly checking my email. Mm-hmm. So I've had to really think, I mean, and I'm still obviously working on it. Like if I want to be the kind of boss that makes sure that my employees don't don't burn out, that they feel resourced. I need to be able to pay them a certain amount. I need to be able to give them a certain amount of, um, you know, I, I need to not ask things of them outside of these hours. And the way to ensure that that happens is to model it. Yes. And to practice it myself. Yes. That's the hardest more. piece for me. Exactly. Well, the modeling is so right. Cause again, we're taking cues from like our, our leadership and that's what comes first. And, and that's why we need to like, really like, yeah, inspect those things in ourselves. Actually, I want to pose a question to you of like, um, what is that, what is that energetic pool when you want to check your email, like mm. off work hours? Like, what do you think, what do you think, yeah, what's that pool? Or what do you think will happen if you don't do that? That's a great question. I've, I've wondered this myself. So, so one of the things is that sometimes really exciting things come into my email inbox. (laughs) And so sometimes I'm bored and I get the pull of like, you could have have an adrenaline rush here. You never know. Mm. It's like always sort of this question. Um, I've really begun to notice the way that like, if I, if I have a memory, if something comes up in my mind where I'm like, oh my God, I said that really stupid thing. I will reach for my phone Mm. looking for like a, a way out. Yeah. Um, even when I'm like watching stupid TV, you've been watching the Jersey shore. I've been watching the OC. Um, And when I'm watching the OC and like something really terrible happens where like someone makes a joke about, you know, girls being bad at whatever, like there's so much terrible gender stuff and sex stuff in the OC, I will reach for my phone Mm. and I'll, and I'll have to go like, Hey Mia, what do you think is on your phone? That's like, why is this the like logical path? Um, But you ask like, what do I think? What's the pull? So sometimes it's that if I'm working on a TV show, sometimes emails come in and they like need an answer really quickly. I mean, the same way that in social work, you were describing like there's this badge of honor of like, I don't take breaks. 
people in the entertainment industry have really, really bad boundaries and they're very often very proud of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm always available. I'm always um, at your beck and call. Like that's why I'm good at my job. Um, and that's also part of why I'm sort of thinking that I'm not going to be in the entertainment industry for my whole life. Mm. Um, I've seen it happen to my dad. My dad is a talent manager and he is constantly on his phone. He cannot stop working. It's not healthy. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't want to participate in it. And there's not really so much of a choice in the entertainment industry. With my own work, there is this pull sometimes to check my email because something exciting might come in, like a job offer or like, you know, whatever. Um, Other than that, I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing it. Yeah. What I... uh and I check my emails for that, like very similar reason of like, sometimes there's like really good news. And I like to, mm-hmm. you know, what, yeah, what opportunities or who's reaching out to me this week. Um, it, at the same time, there all get emails that are like a little stress inducing of like, oh yeah, we need this answer. Like, can you make this training on this date or something that I need to like figure out, but I definitely like don't want to do it on a weekend. Um, so I know for me, it's like a mixed bag of like, what's the risk? Like there's a risk and a reward. Like I could, you know, I could get some good news or I could get something that stresses me out of it. Yeah. What, what I was wondering was like um, something that I've been thinking about lately, which is um, like the scarcity mindset, which does if I miss an email, how will that affect my like, yeah. If I miss this really important email, I had that one opportunity um, will they go to someone else? Or we'll go to, yeah. And then did I just miss out on like something that, you know, and you know, when you work for yourself, you're, you're literally like turning, leaving your own life, you know, like you're relying on yourself for, for income and, and making ends meet and making a living. Right. Um, so I feel like sometimes, some, you know, and this is kind of like the category that I tend to fall into of like, yeah, will I miss out on something like really important that will affect my like livelihood? Um, it's never the case. I'm like, I'm definitely fine. You know what I mean? It's never the case. (laughs) And you know, I was talking to somebody who, so I'm, I'm part of this, like, it's called ambition, ambition unbox. It's, it's basically like a group of like, you know, like female or like cis female identified uh, entrepreneurs. It's all these like badass women. And like, they're definitely like hugely older than me. So I like, I like, just like, like being in the room of like older, powerful women, but I've gotten to the conversation with one of them of like, right. Like, I'm catching myself like policing my, the way I spend my time and I don't allow myself to take, I'm still, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, I'm still learning to like take breaks during the day. Like I did yoga this morning and I felt really bad doing it. And I felt like I should not be doing yoga at 11, you know, AM, like I should be doing a work. Um, but I ended up pushing through it and it ended up being fine. So I was like telling this to this woman, she was like, she's like, my business flourished when I started saying no more. Yes. She's like, when you say, keep saying yes, like that diminishes your no. And um, I don't know what, what, whatever she was saying, she was basically, it, I mean, basically like the more she said no in her work, the more she got like um, niched or like the more that she said yes to things that she actually cared about right. and were actually passionate, which led to other like, you know, other opportunities. Um, and all this to say, it was just very useful and helpful for me to remember that like saying saying no especially like as like you're as a self-employed person um doesn't take away anything it it actually adds it adds to to whatever you're creating i think that's so incredibly true and it's really hard to live that way because we're rarely getting paid enough to feel like we can say no to stuff and so it's a matter of like it, it comes down, I think, in part to resources. Like if I got paid mm. enough money to do these other things, then saying no would feel really good. And that's part of why I continue to do stuff that pays me really well that I don't love to do. Um, but what, what you're talking about, I think this, the way that like saying no helps you carve out your niche is that I think about, I think about the work that I do, like regardless of what it is that I'm doing, I think about a body of work, like an artist would. Mm. And um, I mean, I've had 
various times in my life where I'm like more or less of an artist. Uh, and right now, a lot of the work that I do is not art, but I still look at it as a body of work. So like if I'm looking at how I want my resume to look, mm. I love that my resume includes, um, you know, whatever, like, I don't need to get into details, but like this job and this job and this job with this person, this person and this person and this company and this organization. And that I took this class and this class and this class, like that to me, when I can look at my resume and I go, this is a really accurate reflection of me. Like this actually, this body of work authentically represents who I am and what I believe and how I show up in the world, as opposed to this idea of like, um, the sort of universalist idea of like being as versatile as you can possibly be. And that's the thing that's like, I just say yes to anything that comes through my desk. And it's also, it's really damaging because it's damaging to you internally because it damages your sense of purpose. You know, you don't have to be everything for everybody. You don't have to be the right fit for everything. In fact, that's what having a network is often for to be able to say, actually, I think you want so-and-so. You know, like someone comes to me for burnout and I'm like, actually, I think you want Mona. Um, as opposed to saying like, yeah, of course, yes, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that because that burns me out. And it also tells, like it chips away at their trust in me. I end up not doing as excellent of a job as I could have if my heart were fully in it, if I don't feel empowered to say no. Totally, yeah. And this is something that I've learned also of like starting my own business is that I, I, at this point in my career, give myself permission to say no to, to clients, like absolutely. Um, and even if it's like aligned, like if, even if what they want to work on is like similar to like what I do, if, if there's not like, if there's just sort of like an energetic vibe, I also like definitely don't see very many like cis males and like that is like my prerogative and I still stand by that. I do have a few and like, they're great. Um, but because, just like, I just choose not to. And I used to feel bad about that. Um, but again, like we get to protect, we get to protect our time. And we're the only ones who get to protect our time really and our, and our energy and where it goes. And every time where I've had like a red flag that comes up and I've ignored it every single time that is like escalated into a situation that like took me so long to get out. Um, whenever I crossed like a boundary or said yes to something that I really didn't want to do, like it's always led to like a situation that I'm just like, Oh God, like I could have totally avoided that. Um, and that, that's like, that's my guide. That's my lesson to like give myself permission now to like only say yes to like soul aligned to client clients. Yes. Like, they feel it. I feel it. Like you, we know instantly it's a click and it's a connection. And then our work is hella strong. Like then we're just doing like, again, like soul aligned work where it's just like we're right place, right time, like right person. Mm-hmm. And that's right. That gives me purpose. That, that helps me like, remember, like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like following my dreams and like, I'm giving back and like, this feels really aligned and feels really great. Um, and then, you know, ho hopefully getting that in, re in response from the client too, of like, you know, them feeling like empowered, like this was like, you know, a good, a good fit for them too. Right. I want to, before I ask you my closing question, I want to ask, I think, What's coming up for me in the way that you're describing this, like when you're, you said soul aligned clients. And I even think of like my business coach says like heart centered people and heart centered work. Um, you can of course still feel depleted. You can of course still burn out and push yourself past your limitations, but it's not as easy to do so when you're working with people that you feel that way about? In fact, you might even have the tendency to push past it because it is like such a, a like hard line. So exactly. Yeah. And I think I wonder if that goes back to like the honeymoon phase where like mm. that you give, you make an excuse of why, because it does, I think again, it feels good. Like, listen, look, I'm going past a limit and that actually feels good. Yeah. It's like, you know, what I learned in your class, what is it like serving the like mm -hmm. serving, giving, um, you know, you're, you, it does feel good sometimes to give something in service to somebody. Um, but then like knowing like at what point does that, does that end? And the more you do that, the more you're kind of showing that other person that like that's normal, normal behavior. And right. they're going to start expecting like going sort of past or above and beyond. 
Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to hold my boundaries about like my quote unquote office hours, like pretty strictly, unless for whatever reason, like like this past week, I, I don't respond on weekends to clients um, and to emails. And I talk to clients on Signal throughout the week. Mm. Um, but like Friday, my, my day kind of was a little bit upheaved and I was able to just sort of relax for much of the day. And so I was willing to then respond to anyone who wrote to me on Friday on Saturday. And like, that felt fine to mm. me, you know? Um, so I, I think, yeah, like both are true that you might push past your limits a little bit because you're enjoying it so much. But at the same time, I think it's harder to feel so depleted because the work is so nourishing so long as you are allowing yourself to say no to stuff that doesn't feel that way. Exactly, exactly. And not putting yourself in a trap where now you feel like you're expected to do it. And maybe that person's not even expecting you, but then you are like, oh, I already did this thing. So I have to keep like, yeah, pushing past. Right. right. And I think that, yeah, that all goes back to just getting, taking it slow and like just being really in touch with like your intuitive yes. And that's like definitely something that I'm working on and why I'm in your course right <laughs> now, honestly, because just the like awareness around it um, because my automatic thoughts are to not do that. So mm -hmm. like, it has to be a, a, it has to be a practice and it has to be something that like I'm intentionally being aware of. Um, I think that's really what it kind of, it comes down to. Yeah. 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 The awareness for sure. Okay. So my wrap up question is, can you share three of your most influential, um, anything? So like people in your life, media you've seen, heard, read, consumed, conversations you've had, places you've been, like whatever it is, three things that um, you think were most formative for how you think today? Wow, that's a really great <laughs> question. <laughs> like giving me, okay, let me think. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes up is is spirituality, and that's something that I've never. That's that's a new thing for me. So that's something that I used to be like, not just like agnostic, but there was like some atheist moments in me when I, definitely my like teens and twenties. Um. Anyways, and then my my mom passed away. She she died about four and a half years ago now, and it was just like really sad to grieve thinking that that's it. Like there's just like, then that's the end of her being. Um, and, and then I ended up having a, a moment with the psychic that just was like blew my mind and they knew shit that nobody knows, like where a box is in a house. Like it was just like, there's just no way anybody would. I mean, it was just the level of detail was uh, incredible. Oh. Um, yeah, that happened about like three years ago. So then I had a spiritual awakening of like, wait a second. There's like, there's a listen, we don't know what's going on. I don't know. And I think we would be like, you know, remiss to think that we know what exactly is happening, like in the universe and in the world. But I really do believe that there's stuff energetically that we can't see, but we could feel if we're, if we pay attention. So definitely the spirituality piece has been like life-changing for me. Um, especially to have perspective. So whenever there's something that like happens that, you know, a, a pain or a harm in some way or a hurt or a loss in some way, um, having that spiritual lens really does help me take a step back and see wh what the lesson is in that and like, and see of like, take, take, yeah, take the loss as like a lesson and see what, um, how I grew from that um, has been like enormous for me. So I think spirituality would be like a very, very big one there. Um, but I'm trying to think of like, like actual resources. Um, yeah. Like Louise Hay. She, I don't know. She's like the, they call her like the godmother of like uh, self-help or whatever. Mm. Uh, she's, she's awesome. She's so badass. Um, so you can look her up on YouTube. You could like, you freely could have access to like her, her works online. Um, so yeah, spirituality, Louise Hay is a big one. Um, 
also like asking for help. I'll say this is the third one for me is like, yeah, asking for help. Asking for help has been another big one, especially in my own, like in my own journey, it takes, there's so much pride in like wanting to feel like I got this, I'm independent. I could figure it out. And you, and those are all true things. And there's so much resources out there. And there are people who like genuinely want to help. Um, and I think it can be easy to be suspicious of help um, and thinking maybe somebody wants something in return that you're not willing to give. Um, but the power of like, and not to gender this, but like women have helped me out so much, especially my business right now. It's like, it's mind blowing. So um, yeah, being open to accepting help, asking for help is a big one. Um, I would definitely recommend that, especially if, if you're in a place where you, you think you might need it. Mm -hmm. um, Louise Hay and spirituality. Those are my three. Beautiful. I love it. All right, Mona. Well, thank you so much for doing with this with me. Um, there, I feel like we could do this three more times. Yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> I love speaking with you. Thanks. I'm glad we met and I think I'm there too. was a reason why we met. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to continue our, our, uh, our relationship in the future. Yeah. I look forward to whatever, I feel like we'll, we'll find ways to collaborate in the future and I'm excited to see whatever that is. And I'll see you in class. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'll in see you like soon. An hour. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at consent wizard. The show is produced and edited by Stella Hartman. Beginning and ending music is by me. There's sometimes other music by my friend Tyler Field. The podcast logo is by Candace Ploy Goodman. For contact information for these exceptionally talented people, or to ask a question about boundaries and consent that I'll answer on the show, you can email podcast at sharetheloadinc.com. <laughs>